There's a man who wrote a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning, and he was a Jewish man, and living in Austria, and when the Nazis invaded Austria, instead of escaping, because he had a ticket to America, but instead of escaping, he stayed in Austria, um, got arrested, got taken to a concentration camp, and his training was uh, a psychologist. And while he was in the concentration camp, he began to um, explore the question why some people survived and why some people died. Um, he had no pens or paper, he just had to remember the testimonies, the stories as he spoke to people and got to know them. And he discovered that the key reason that some people lived and some people died was the subject of hope. That if people had hope, they tended to survive longer in the concentration camp and tended to be those who came out the other side. Those who lost hope tended to um, die the quickest. And he was observing that hope could come in a whole load of different forms. It could simply be the hope that you're going to be reconnected to a husband or he was in the mail to your wife, that, that people were going to be reconnected or reconnected to their children or reconnected to their family. If they believed that they could be reconnected, there was a life beyond the concentration camps, that gave them hope. Other people, of course, would have been Christians. They would have connected to a relationship to God. Um, but hope was the key. Once hope had gone, people would die really, really quickly. And indeed, people could survive the concentration camp, and then he would go to find them afterwards. And if their hope was deferred or dashed, in fact, he found that people would quickly die, even once they got out of the concentration camp and got back into normal life. If they hadn't had that reconnection, with, um, and their object of hope hadn't fulfilled their hopes, they would often as well lose um, <coughs> hope and could die. Because hope is the confident expectation that good is coming. That's really what hope is. It's the, it's the belief that something good is about to happen, that there is a solution, there is an answer. And hope is actually a really, really unusual thing, an unusual quality to find. Actually, there aren't that many hopeful people. That, that most people are, are realistic and most people are not brimming with hope. As a, pers- as a person, of course I'm a person, if I went on to a, uh, a personality test and filled in a number of questions on loads of different questionnaires, I always come out as 97% melancholic. That means the glass is always half empty. Um, that means that hope isn't a natural part of my personality disposition. And one of the interesting things of living in this area is one of the things is hopelessness. In fact, when moving here, we found lots of people saying this particular sentence in loads of different areas, it won't work here. Loads of people across loads of different contexts saying it won't work here. And there was a kind of almost a a hopelessness And I believe there is a hopelessness in our area. Um, I think it's linked as well to a poverty mindset. There is not enough resources, there's not enough expertise, there's not enough time. It's hopeless. And there's a sense in which for many of us, 
we are realistic and we prepare for disappointment and there's often that sense of I'm anticipating disaster and setback is normal. <laughs> Heard someone say the other day, I cannot um, be too joyful about something because something might go wrong. Um, I'm looking forward, but I can't look forward because what if something goes wrong? What if I'm disappointed? What if there's a disaster? What if there's a setback? And, and so joy and hope are those two things to go together. And we're going to look at a verse, if you can turn your Bibles, to Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. And it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him or as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can see here that hope and joy go together. That actually if you can get hope, you can get joy. And if you can get joy and peace, joy and peace lead to more hope and hope overflows. And so if you were saying, what's the strategy then to come into an area that is realistic, that's often anticipating disaster and believe setback is normal, the answer is to become believers who are so full of hope that we overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit, hope everywhere we go. You see, if we're we're in the business of being realistic, if if we're in the business of just being completely realistic, it's actually normal to be hopeless. So if we're just going to be realistic about ourselves, if we're going to be realistic about um, our community, if we're going to be realistic about our local church, if we're just going to be measured and realistic in our expectations, actually hopelessness is, is quite a normal, natural disposition. It actually doesn't take a lot of faith and trust and believing to be melancholic and hopeless. It's a kind of normal thing. You could say, what, what, what difference can I make? Or what difference could I make to my family? What difference could I realistically make to my community? Or my office? Or my school? Or this community? And often then we come down to feeling, well, let's just be realistic. Let's be measured. Really, we can't do a lot. But actually, we're not called to be realistic. That's why we're called believers. <laughs> the very foundation of how we got into the kingdom was we heard good news and we believed. So we're not called to be realistic and we're not called to be measured. We're actually called to factor in the God of all hope onto ourselves, onto our community, onto our local church, onto our nations, and onto the nations. We need to factor in God. Because the moment we genuinely trust that God is good, we get hope. The goodness of God and hope go together. The moment we start to believe that his promises are true, we get hope. Hope gets ignited. And so I want to talk really about how do you get joy and hope and how does joy and hope overflow and how does it overflow to the world and to the community. And it says here, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust or as you believe in him. 
So the first thing is quite a hard-hitting thing, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Is, is, it's not a bad thing, is it, to go to the doctor and hear a terrifying diagnosis, but then hear the doctor say, don't worry, we caught it on time, there's a solution, there's a medicine, there's a cure. Sometimes actually hearing tough stuff is actually really, really helpful. And it's helpful to know that our lack of hope and our lack of joy and our lack of peace and our lack of overflow is actually rooted in believing wrong stuff about God. Because Paul is saying here he's the God of all hope. That joy and peace come as you trust in him. So the root issue of any hopelessness or any joylessness or any lack of peace or living agitated and irritated inside is actually rooted in believing wrong stuff about God. It's believing that there are circumstances or people or personality traits that are bigger than God. So we become hopeless. You know, you could do your online score and say, well, I come up 99% melancholic or 96% melancholic. Well, it's hopeless for me. I'm just going to have to live a glass half empty kind of life because that's what the personality test says. Well, actually, the Bible doesn't say, may the God of all hope fill you, apart from Jamie and those who have taken melancholic tests with all joy and hope, because the glass half empty people don't get that, but those who are kind of optimistic do. There's no mention of personality tests. There's just a mention of the God of all hope and a human being's relationship with the God of all hope. I think that's really good news. It's certainly good news for me. Because I don't want to be locked in a situation where you think, well, I can never be any different and I can never feel any different because that's the label I've got and that's what my experience has been. The Bible doesn't say, well, if your experience has been hopelessness and your experience has been joylessness or peacelessness, well, that's now who you are. The Bible never says that. It says, actually, for every, every single person in the moment of believing, in the moment of trusting, they can be filled with joy and hope. And so there are no personality types, there are no circumstances, there are no people that are bigger than him. It's true that it's possible to have great doctrine and still be a complete mess. You can know all the right things about God and you can know all the right things about the Bible and you could do test after test after test and be doctrinally very, very, very good and still be a complete emotional wreck. Because it says, as you trust in him or as you believe. It's possible, like we've heard just then, to have our... We hear things about Jesus and hear things about the cross and hear things about the finished work and hear things there's nothing we can do that can make him love us more or less and, and, and actually say I believe in every single one of those things. I could say they're all exactly true but yet have no joy, no peace or no security inside on the basis of it because there is something different between intellectual ascension, yeah I agree with that, and believing. So faith, hope, joy, peace gets ignited in the moment that we believe. And so hope is bigger 
than our circumstances. Hope, the God of all hope, is bigger than our personality traits. The God of all hope is bigger than the people who surround us. Hope is banking on God. It's what believing means and trusting means. You see, I can say that I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, sent by the Father, the exact image of the living God, very God, very man, that when he went to the cross, he paid my debt and died my death so that he could defeat the great enemies of Satan, sickness, sin and death. I could say I believe all of those things and yet have no hope because maybe my hope is still in myself. And so I can say I believe that his work does it and and, and we can have all the right doctrines but still be relying on on ourselves. So our hope could be in our ability to keep standards or keep rules or our hope could be in our intelligence and our ability or our personality. Our hope could be in our job or in our ability to provide. But hope, supernatural hope, supernatural joy and supernatural peace comes as I connect the dots and actually become a believing believer who actually believes those things. That's where rest is birthed. Rest and faith are actually birthed in surrender, trusting and yielding. Faith is not a work. Faith is a gift that is received as I say actually it's his life, it's his death, it's his resurrection, it's what he did for me, as me, on my behalf. That's my eternal security. It's got nothing to do with my performance. Now I'm resting because I'm trusting, yielding and surrendering to a revelation in practical life. And as we look at our lives and look at our futures, we're saying my hope is not in my ability, it's not in my job, it's not in my money, it's not in my intelligence, it's not in me being my own saviour and fixing things. I'm going to trust, I'm going to believe and I'm going to yield and surrender to the God of all hope. Because God says, or Paul says, says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So hope is a work of the Holy Spirit. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So he's the God of all hope. And in this relationship with him, he's filling us with his qualities, his personality, his nature. He's the God of joy, he's the God of peace, he's the God of hope. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot create this for yourself. It's a work of God. The source of it is not your personality. It's a supernatural thing given by the God of all hope. That's why a person like me can have hope that melancholy does not have to be the defining definition of my personality and future because I can come to the God of all hope and in trusting and believing get filled with hope because that's how it comes relationally from him. Nor is it an emotion that is worked up. It's not that you think, well, actually, I'm a kind of hopeless person. I want to overflow with hope. And then you go to work on your emotions. I'm going to become more hopeful. I'm going to become more this. I'm going to get more disciplined in the area of hopelessness. 
is not that. It's not you getting your act together. The gospel is not a kick. Get your act together. Try a little harder. Change your personality. It's not just being positive. So how we got into the kingdom is how you grow in the kingdom. This is how we got into the kingdom. We, we, were, we were dead. And we were enemies. This is us. We had no appetite for God or interest in God. And then one day, and everybody's story is going to be a little different, you, maybe you were walking along and someone gave you a leaflet about Jesus. Or, or maybe you bumped into somebody who's a Christian and they told you a little bit about Jesus. And so you heard something. The Holy Spirit grabbed hold of that leaflet or that, I don't know, watching God TV or that invitation to church or at Sunday school or, 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 or somebody you met in the street who told you about Jesus. The Holy Spirit got hold of it and he gave you the gift of believing. So it, it wasn't that you were here and then you heard someone say, Jesus is really good news, and then you bucked your ideas up, you tried extra hard, you got your, you got your act together, you, you thought, well, that's the standard that Christians keep. I'm just going to grit my teeth and try and keep the standards and be a good Christian. It, it wasn't anything to do with what you did. You were dead, I was dead, and I was an enemy, but God, who is rich in mercy... He brought someone across your path. You heard something and the Holy Spirit gave you the gift of believing. The Holy Spirit gave you faith in the promise of God. That's how we came to believe this extraordinary reality that a man who lived 2,000 years ago has made a way for sinners to become saints and friends with God. Because we heard it, he ignited faith and belief and trust, and we were born again. That's how we got into the kingdom. The Holy Spirit gave us faith in the promises. The Holy Spirit said, live, and we came alive. It was like when Jesus came outside of Lazarus of grave, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. That's how you got born again. You were in the grave. And Holy Spirit applied the reality of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. You heard, and sometimes you only heard a snippet and it was enough to get you in. Like I said last week, I was listening to Yongi Cho talking about, do you want a red bike or a blue bike? Asking God and got filled with the Holy Spirit and had an experience of God and knew he was real. It's that moment you heard something and you thought, I don't really, really want to maybe pursue this, but something, it's got that song, something got a hold of my heart. <laughs> what is that song? I just feel like I've got something got a hold of my heart. I just thought, if I was in my living room, I would have done that. Gene Pitney. <laughs> Mark Holman's version with Gene Pitney. <laughs> Yeah, who knows? Don't mind us, how do you want? 
literally something got a hold of your heart. <laughs> and it was you were dead, and something got birthed, a seed got planted, Holy Spirit watered it, and you're alive. And you're thinking, how did I go from here to here? I I didn't believe, and now I believe, and now I'm one of them. I thought they were crazy, now I'm one of them. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit brought you alive, and he called you forth. Lazarus, come out of the grave. And you were alive. And you're in this amazing kingdom with a new heart and new appetites. A, a, a new perspective and you're, you're, you're going deeper and deeper as your mind is getting renewed. And so, how you get into the kingdom is how you grow in the kingdom. You hear a truth. You read the Bible. You sing a song. You talk to a friend. Sometimes you're watching a film and the Holy Spirit whispers, that's true. It's like when we eat. I have no idea how the digestive system works. I just know I get hungry and enjoy food. Then something happens and it turns into life and energy. We don't really know how it all works. We're reading the Bible and it jumps out. I've read that a hundred times. I've just read it again. And belief and trust and hope is being ignited. He gives us the gift of believing. He gives us the gift of life and he gives us the gift of believing. And so to become a hopeful believer isn't through behaviour modification and trying hard and gritted teeth and treadmills and hamster wheels and working really, really hard. It's being exposed to the voice of God. I'm picking up the Bible because I'm going to hear something. I'm going to read something. I'm going to get an overview of your heart, God, that's going to change me. And you're going to cause me to be strengthened and matured. And I'm going to grow. And so you get in as this gift. You become a, a son or daughter who's wonderfully accepted. And then you take all the means of grace and you feast on You feast on church. You feast on fellowship, you feast on community, you feast on the Bible, you feast on talking to God, you feast on it all. And the Holy Spirit is all the time waking you up, waking you up, waking you up. So yeah, we are, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, but the transformation of our mind is not a work that we're doing for God. We need the Spirit of God to give revelation so that we can believe. Because it says here, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. I'm going to trust in him deeper. I'm going to believe in him deeper in this relationship. And so the Holy Spirit causes us to have the gift of believing truth from the core. And these, this faith, this believing, this thing that gets ignited in the place of yielding and trusting surrender, it, it pushes out everything else. So it, it pushes out anxiety, and it pushes out fear, and it pushes out discouragement, and it pushes out grumbling, and it pushes out regret, and it pushes out unforgiveness, 
and it pushes out bitterness. Because what the Holy Spirit ignites can't coexist with anything else. It, it, you know, you sometimes see pictures of viruses that attack. Well, that's what Holy Spirit is like on, on lies and what he does to negative emotions and discouragement and fear and anxiety and grumbling. Hope won't coexist with any of those things. It, it just it won't sit next to hopelessness. It will attack hopelessness and push hopelessness away. Peace will push away irritation and agitation and frustration. It pushes it out. And joy pushes out despair and pushes out melancholy and pushes out hopelessness. It just won't coexist with it. So can you see, this is how we live our Christian lives, in the place of rest, in the place, place of, of surrender, in the place of yielding to a person. I'm not fixing myself. I'm not working on myself. I'm not modifying myself. I'm being worked upon by God. It's not here he is and here's his standards and I'm going to work my life to try and meet his standards. I'm in. I'm a winner. I've already got the verdict. Now I'm in this wonderful kingdom. I'm going to explore it and get to know it and enjoy it. And that's how all these wonderful things like the Bible reading and prayer and everything gets redeemed from what we've understood as a treadmill of works to somehow get in. It becomes just a way of eating and living and enjoying. So our capacity to fulfil our mission and bring transformation to any area, whether it's into our family, whether it's into the community, is simply this. It happens on the inside first. Dare I say, if we had a bullseye, that God's bullseye is, I want to bless and transform the whole world. That's his goal. I'm going to bring hope. He's going to overflow. Our bullseye is really much smaller. Transform me that I might overflow. Because it says that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow, it means that something is so full, it overflows. A glass that overflows is just because it has been overfilled. And that's our goal, is that we become those who see our heart culture so transformed by the culture of heaven, that we simply export who we are. And what we enjoy. And that's it. So though the mission is to overflow his reality of the kingdom in our daily lives, our goal and our target is just to enjoy God and be so full of the God of all hope and so connected to joy and peace that joy and peace lead to more hope and that they then we overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that that's our job description. Our job description is to be hedonists on God. That's it. I wish I knew the quote off by heart, but I don't. But I'll give you the gist of it. I heard 
that there's a, there's a tomb in Westminster Chapel of an 11th century bishop, and, and the inscription said this, something like, when I started my life, my ministry, my goal was to change the world. And then he said, but the world would have none of it. So he said, then my goal was to change my nation. But my nation wasn't that interested either. And then he said in his twilight years, he thought, I'll lower my sights, I'll just change my family. And he said, even my family were, on, were disinterested in my attempts to bring transformation. And then he thought, maybe if my target had just been my own heart, <coughs> maybe my family would have been touched and would have encouraged me to touch the nation. And from there, maybe I may have even changed the world. So as we conclude this series, sometimes people can say, I, I don't see that, that I'm living my life, I'm busy, I'm working hard, I'm doing two jobs, I've got family, I've got loads of stuff, I've got loads of things going on. How do I connect that as it is in heaven to my daily life? And we can hear testimonies and about healing in the streets and all those things. I just want you to know that it's all overflow. Yeah. Your responsibility, as it were, in God, if it is a responsibility, is to just feast on him with the expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to ignite faith and trust and believing. And that from that place, you're going to have so much life in you that your family's going to ask you a question. What's going on with you? What's happened with you? And even if they don't ask you a question, your goal was never to get them to ask a question anyway. You were too busy enjoying God for who he is and the love that he has for you. <coughs> that, I think, means that our whole lives become exporting what we personally enjoy. And that means the whole of Christianity is just simplicity. It becomes a relationship with a good, good God. We're with, with the Father we're loving, enjoying him. And in this wonderful relationship, we get to hear his voice, hear what's on his heart, hear what he gets to do, wants to do. And we just get to overflow that life. Because it's impossible really to be walking around wanting to love the world. And we're full of anxiety, frustration, grumbling, bitterness. We're so consumed by everything that we can't put another layer of activity on top of that. But as hope comes in, brings peace brings shalom, brings hope. We begin to have life that begins to bubble up and we begin to have something that can overflow to a world that's absolutely desperate for hope.